Welcome to episode 9 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. It is official at long last in our young history. The name fits what's going on with the Blue Jays right now as we record. They have won five games in a row. Uh, I'm joined by Andrew Stoughton. Stoughton, how do you feel now and how does that compare to, let's say, the middle of the game on Saturday where it looked like the Blue Jays were going to drop a series to the Orioles? (laughs) Yeah, uh, quite a lot better. Obviously, it's, um, you know, the the competition that they've been playing has not necessarily been uh, stellar, but you definitely like to see them banking some wins against teams that they should be beating. And that was that was a low point for sure, uh, personally, and I think for the team on Saturday. I, I was, uh, you know, I try to stay on the optimistic side of things, but even then was 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 beginning to boil over in frustration, I believe, if you if anybody goes back, which I do not recommend. Uh, and checks my tweets. Yeah, I mean, it It looked like they were headed for a pretty dark place, you know, dropping the first couple games against this Orioles team after kind of waiting all season for the Orioles to roll around. Finally, they get them, and then they're going to lose a series to them. Uh, yeah, that seemed pretty brutal. Them trying to, you know, fight to not be swept by the Orioles would have been a tough situation to be in. Like you said, competition plays into it, right? Like, I think often it's easy to underestimate the degree to which competition plays into it. You know, they had a really tough schedule at the beginning of the year. That's turning around a little bit. It should not be surprised that the quality of the teams you play has a pretty profound effect on what your record is. But sometimes people look at the schedule and they say, okay, win, 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 win. All these teams are trash. And we know that baseball doesn't work like that. Um, You know, any team can get a hot pitcher one day or your bats just don't do anything or a bullpen guy blows up. That's awfully familiar for the Blue Jays. So (laughs) for this team to actually, you know, not just win the games they're supposed to win as in win most of the games, but like just straight up win those games. And we'll see if that continues into this weekend. But, you know, some of the other AL East teams have floundered a little bit during this time, looking at the Tampa Bay Rays and the outlook. As silly as it is in a 162-game season to say this, the outlook has changed in the last, you know, five days since we talked last. They are in a much better position, uh, getting closer to the trade deadline, and things are brighter in a way that you probably wouldn't think could happen over just five days. No, it's true, and it's, I mean, a big part of it is that the bullpen held a bunch of leads, uh, which was real nice, you know, uh, some really well played games in uh in Miami or two I guess games in Miami that were were just good solid overall team wins you know not a lot of offense in that series but uh uh and, and they faced some really good starting pitching I thought and 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 did a very good job of uh scratching out a couple wins there like those were big and the, that's a team that's not great but also yeah the, I thought the pitchers were both uh you know gave them a lot to handle and the, the Jays starting rotation has been uh has been very good you know, there's no other way to put it. And uh, uh, continued into, you know, this new series with the Orioles. And, and uh, you just, yeah, you love to see it. It's very, it's it's bright. And it's, uh, you know, I haven't been watching the standings day by day, but obviously things are getting better. Uh, it's, uh, and like I said, the, the bullpen not being a gigantic tire fire uh, does make a big difference. Yeah, we'll get into the bullpen, but first I think it's important to kind of touch on what the listeners expect. And at this point, the listeners expect us to talk about Alec Manoa. And we have some interesting Alec Manoa news this week with that suspension coming down. 
not only is this a Manoa podcast sort of in a general sense, but this is a Manoa hit-by-pitch podcast, probably more than (laughs) exists anywhere elsewhere in the world. So without focusing too much on the past, I think we just need to delve into this one a little bit. And my take on it is that this suspension is ridiculous. I mean, Manoa is a guy who lets pitches slip from from time to time. Um, we've seen that, especially in the minor leagues. He doesn't have great command. That clearly, to me, looked like a pitch that got away from him. I don't think he was looking to make his life more difficult after giving up a couple home runs. Charlie Montoya was definitely not the manager who's calling for his guy to hit guys. And so even at the time in the game getting ejected, that seemed like a bit of a stretch to me. But it's like, okay, you know, err on the side of caution or whatever. And then to give the additional, you know, suspension to Montoya for one game for what that's worth, and then the one to Manoa that he's appealing right now, uh, I just found it baffling. Yeah, it was it was real weird. It was real weird because I, I, everything you said is absolutely correct. Like as as we've tracked throughout his ascension to the big leagues, like this is a guy who, you know, we were worried more about the hit by pitches than the walks uh, at times in the minors, right? Like he. Like that seemed to be a thing. That's a thing we talked about as the foremost Alec Manoa hit by pitch podcast. Uh, and yeah, it, it you know I I think that there were no was there a warning? Were they warned? And like I don't know if that happened. And then they threw him out, which I think was why he was so upset. And you're completely right that Montoya certainly wasn't the manager who's going to be like go out and hit that guy. Uh, you know, and the, the timing definitely suspicious for sure. Definitely. Looks weird. Maybe it's because he's fired up. Who knows? But, uh, uh, but yeah, that that uh, it seems ridiculous. But it's also it's it's a fairly toothless suspension anyway. It's like bumps a start back by a day. Yeah, suspending uh, but, starters in general is really silly because you get this game total and it's like, oh man, this guy is going to be gone for a week. It's like, yeah, hey, he's going to pitch once that week. Right. So it's like yeah. it's it's always weird. They need to figure out a different way to do that, to be honest, because it it just the you know the sticker shock you get not in this case, but sometimes you'll be like, oh, this guy suspended ten games, and it's like, yeah, that was one of his starts, and they'll find a way to bullpen the other one, and it's not a big deal. Yeah, I I I wrote about this a bit this week, uh, but like in fa- in general, I'm in favor of you know anything that will stop beanball wars and some of the silly stuff we've seen in the past, but this just was, you know. This was just not it. This was that's. I just don't think that's what that was, and I, I think it's silly to you know the ejection was was plenty. Yeah, so. it was more than enough. Yeah, you like you said, this wasn't beanball wars. This wasn't you know Red Sox Yankees players that hate each other. Guy hits you know a home run and you know to the moon and does a ridiculous strut, which I mean. Which is not to say that you shouldn't do that. I'm the last guy to you know right. <laughs> crack down on home, but I mean ridiculous in scope, not in uh, you know content. Right. Uh, it's it just wasn't one of those situations. So, Alec, uh, yeah, we've always been in your corner and on your side, and uh, best of luck on the appeal because that seems like seems like an, I don't know an appeal. You never seem to really win those, but if you could win one, this is one you'd think is winnable. And then the next guy, you know, the guy we're always comparing to Alec Manoa, also with a little bit of tough news this week, is Nate Pearson is on the aisle again. 
the one kind of you know you know it's a groin injury he keeps re-aggravating it neither of us are groin experts um that's a bit that's of a weird sentence yeah, yeah. but uh, you know I'll, I'll just i'll leave that there um not neither of us are you know biomechanical experts whatever i can't tell you like why is nate pearson's groin keep breaking down what i can tell you is when they reveal that he's getting an, a fourth opinion on this it means that they don't know either and that that's kind of the troubling thing it's like yeah i can't tell you what's happening but it seems like the blue jays can't as well and when it comes to asking for a fourth opinion that's almost like a little bit of denial it's like you've had three opinions already you've had multiple people tell you what they think maybe they're all just mystified but what's going what's going on but it's hard to believe that you know this many doctors can't see this and see at least give a good diagnosis on it it seems almost like they're hoping that someone else has something better to say but it's uh yeah it's getting to be lost season time for Nate Pearson yeah, it is. It's uh, which is you know obviously a huge disappointment for him and for the team, and you know he's an outstanding prospect as we all know. And you're right that the fourth opinion stuff, the third, even a third opinion seems excessive and probably is, you know, seeking somebody to tell them what they want to hear. Um, but yeah, it it you know there are guys, and it's you don't want to put this on him because some of the injuries have been sort of fluky or at least one of them has been, but you know, there, there are just, there's a lot of forces going on when he throws pitches, you know, in the upper nineties or touches a hundred or whatever, wherever he's at now uh, that, you know, and not everybody's built the same. Not everybody can withstand that. And and you, you have to start wondering at this stage, you know, is like, is he going to be able to hold up over the long term? I mean, like, that's not to say that he like, it's a, we know for sure that he won't. I know fans get, you know, get mad at guys who get hurt, which is odd sometimes. And, uh, you know, the made of glass stuff gets thrown around. And, but, you know, it, it, it's, it is what it is. You know, we, we've, we haven't seen him on the field. And partly it's because this, this thing keeps recurring. And that I think is, is definitely troubling. I don't know if the extra opinions are, you know, they're trying to avoid surgery or something like that or 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 what but definitely uh you know he's gonna be like he's gonna be shut down at this point you know by the time he gets ramped back up there's not gonna be a ton of minor league season left and uh and and you know he hasn't shown any enough to pitch in the big leagues i don't think this year either though he may you know that may open a path for him to get into the bullpen at some point yeah but, i mean uh, you can throw him in the bullpen pretty much right away, right? Like he could come back. For, if you're in a situation where he can help in the bullpen, you don't need for him to show you in a bunch of minor league starts or a bunch of minor league outings. So that's a possibility. Like you can, I think you can throw him into the fire. Yeah. And I, I think that maybe just that might end up being what happens, you know, they, they do that and then, you know, come back, come back fresh next year, change your workout regimen in, in the off season or do something to, to make sure, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. I don't know. I mean, that's easier said than done. Uh, but like to sort of come back with a clean slate next year and, and start once again on trying to, you know, work up into a starter's workload. Like he's still fairly young. It's not, he's, he's getting older, but it, it does take time. And it does, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work for guys right away. And that doesn't mean it will never work. Uh, there are, there are, there are plenty of pitchers who, you know, had the injury prone tag for a long time and then, uh, and then have been fine after that. But there are also a lot of pitchers who, you know, uh, flame out because of injuries. 
Yeah, and there's a little bit of a knock-on effect, right? Like, even if we presume that he recovers from this injury and then is more or less fine from there, and that's a big assumption. And at this point, and like I said, I don't want this to sound like a value judgment about Nate Pearson as as a competitor, because like it's not like he's soft and that's why he's injured. Like These are injuries that keep happening. But he no longer deserves the benefit of the doubt when it comes to his health. And like again, deserves is a weird word there, but this has happened enough that the inclination is to believe that there are going to be problems as opposed to that there won't be. And that he's not Julian Merriweather uh, yet, and he's not particularly close, to be honest. But he doesn't deserve the, the benefit of the doubt. But let's give it to him for a second. And let's say that after this groin thing gets sorted out, he's basically okay, or as okay as most pitchers are for the next little bit. There's this big workload knock-on effect. And, you know, 2020 happened, and that was, you know, that was no fault of anyone's, and that reduced the amount that he was able to pitch that year. And then this was the year that was maybe going to be a little bit of that transition year where he's not quite at a full workload, but he's getting there. And then you really unleash him in 2022. Well, you know, if he's still going to be a starter, which they want to do, and I understand why they want to do it, now in 2021, he's really not getting a workload. So maybe 2022 is the year where he has a little bit of a transitionary workload. And then maybe 2024 is the time when he's quote unquote fully unleashed and it's like getting to his arbitration years almost. So, um, or maybe it is. That is part of the worry, is that even if everything goes well from an injury perspective, even if he's able to get over this hump, which is by no means a guarantee, there still is that issue with kind of trying to structure his career from there, and the ball just keeps getting kicked down the road. Yeah, and guess what? Uh, 2022, (laughs) we could lose some games with the labor situation there as well, right? Which Which could be another issue, and you know, further compound the knock-on effect you're talking about here. Yeah, and then... Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But hopefully it doesn't come to that. I think there's been some optimism on that front lately, but plenty of yeah. animosity between the uh, ownership and the players. I'm sure that there'll be a time months down the road where we get to talk about that delightful topic. Um, I would like to dig us out of this hole for a little bit here. Talk about the bullpen a little bit tangentially related to Pearson, because like we said... It would not be surprising for him to be a part of that, um, you know, a little bit later in the season. But that has been really the part of this winning streak that has been refreshing for fans to see, right? Because, you know, the offense actually hasn't always been there. Um, You know, we saw it last night, but during the Miami series, as you mentioned, they didn't really come through with the bats. But there's confidence that they will be, especially with Springer back. The starters have actually been good for like, you know, a month now, approximately, so the bullpen is what people want to see. And it's, it felt like Charlie Montoya was like a basketball coach for a little bit there where he just really tightened up the rotation. He's like, I've got nine guys in the bullpen, but what I've really got is Tim Meza, Tyler Chatwood, and Jordan Romano. And he was going to ride those guys. And you know what? It worked. And, you know, you can't do that sustainably. He's going to have to find trust in more guys than that. But, you know, finding trust in anyone outside of Romano is, you know, that's a step up at this point. It is, yeah. It was it was real bad for a while there. And, yeah, Tim Meza has, uh, you know, he had a I, – I, I pulled out the numbers. I forget what they were exactly. But, like, he had a five or six appearance run where he was just awful, you know, like gave up runs in four or six appearances and had multiple runs at that. And, uh yeah, for him to have come back around and figured it out again and, and, and got back to a place there where 
you know, where he needs to be. That is, that's enormous for them. He's looked really good. Uh, Romano, I'm, you know, Chatwood finding the strike zone, very important. Romano is, uh, I mean, Chatwood too, but Romano is the one of the guys with the, whose spin rates have been down since the, uh, since the crackdown started, uh, which maybe is a bit of a worry there, but again, still pitching real well. Um, and absolutely it's, it's, it's just nice because it puts guys like the Anthony Castro's and Joel Piamps's of, of the world into a more appropriate spot in the pecking order. Yeah, and Chatwood in particular, and you know, I know that he's been one of the guys who people have identified as a spin rate faller. Uh, that's not as much of a worry for me, to be honest, with Chatwood, because he's more of a you know he's a more of a cutter sinker guy than the four seam curveball guy. Um, but eight straight scoreless outings with two walks, uh, which is not something you'd think of when you think, you know, I know people are like, oh, he's been good lately, but he's actually, I know he's had some bumps and there are outings where you don't actually allow runs as a reliever, but you create issues. But I think right. that would be surprising for people to hear that he's come out of the bullpen eight times without being credited with a run against. And he was so good at the beginning of the year. His stuff really does play. Uh, he found something in 2020s, brought it to the Blue Jays. And, you know, when we did our bullpen gut check uh, episode, you know, there were some guys that we were probably had too much faith in, um, me and Anthony Castro, as the <laughs> as the weeks went on. Not that I'm totally abandoning him by any means. But Chatwood was a guy that we both identified as someone worth having faith in, sort of despite the bumps and bruises he'd been taking. And that's really been borne out. Like he, you know, when more guys come back, you know, when... Baraki comes back. I don't know. You never want to count on Merriweather, but whatever. When more guys come back, Chatwood is going to get bumped down that pecking order a little bit, but he's not someone you feel brutal about coming out in the seventh or the eighth inning because he really does have the arsenal to get big league hitters out and limit damage. And he really hasn't been taken out of the park this season, which is a really important thing in modern baseball to have relievers who can keep the ball in the park. Yeah, absolutely. Cannot cannot disagree on that. And, you know, some of these guys too, like I, I want to see what Jacob Barnes has got. I I know Patrick Murphy had that rough outing, but he's someone who has a little bit of potential too. Like I said, on the overall team, you know, we said, you know, the prognosis seemed to change so much in these five days. But when you look at the list of the bullpen, and it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit beefy at this point, and it's not all the people you want to be there, like, you know, Taylor Sacedo, you know, I mean, Trent Thornton doesn't look great to me. You know, he hasn't pitched in no. four days, and there's a reason for that. But just looking at the names, and, you know, guys like Chatwood and Mesa have pitched better, which makes you feel better about them, it doesn't feel as uh, as dire as it did a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, they should definitely go and get themselves some help. And Mark Shapiro said kind of explicitly that they would do that, which isn't exactly like him. Yeah, it's true. No, that was a pretty interesting interview that he did on the fan uh, earlier in the week, uh, which I have transcribed. And then my <laughs> my internet, of course, uh, well, we haven't mentioned on the podcast, but Nick, you know, my internet has, is gone right now. It's a fun, a fun time. To be a person who relies tremendously on on uh, staying connected, uh, recording a podcast while you off my phone as a hotspot, 
uh, racking up all that data. So, uh, so the, for you, the, the people, the, the sacrifices right. Stoutner's making. I hope that everyone out there listening to this is appreciating that. <laughs> so the Shapiro piece is uh, uh, on the shelf temporarily, but uh, but yeah, it was really interesting. And 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 you're right that he definitely didn't, uh, or he sort of went went beyond sort of the things that he would normally say and saying like he, that he expects them to add pieces as they should, right? I mean that's. You know, it's they're very careful with their words, but when and oftentimes when they don't need to be, and this is one of the times when they didn't really need to be, uh, because yeah, like look at the position they're in. There's a very clear weak link, uh, and it is the bullpen. And and you know, John Axford, as much as everybody uh, loves to see you know good Canadian kid uh, getting a shot at a guy who was throwing hard and pitching okay at the the Olympic qualifiers. Uh, getting you know a minor league deal there. That's that's clearly not the big bullpen fix as much as those people who always hate minor transactions uh, <laughs> would like to pretend so that they could get mad at it. I've never understood that subset of the population that is angry yeah. by uh, no cost additions to the team. Yeah, and it yeah. I I, I don't want to rant on those folks. I, but I do, but but it's just like you're paying enough attention to notice minor transactions. How have you not paid enough attention to notice that this is just how the industry works, and that's just like this is just a thing, and it's not an expression of what the teams like. This is not the final goal. Uh, signing John Axford and getting uh, and, and bringing in Jacob Barnes, like there there's yeah, I don't do more than two things at once. I don't remember the order on this, but when they signed Francisco Liriano to a minor league contract in the offseason, didn't mean they weren't getting Springer. Like, right. You yeah. can do you can do both things. And uh yeah, the position that the Blue Jays are in is actually pretty enviable because bullpen pieces are never hard to come by. Like even when there are you know fewer sellers than there might be and sometimes in the two wild card system that can be the case. With the expanded playoffs last season, that was the case. There's always going to be, you know, when you take, let's say that there are eight pure sellers, just for sake of argument, and there might be a few more than that come the deadline. And those bullpens are at least eight deep and these days. So you're looking at 64 pitchers as a possible pool of additions. And those, you know, totally rebuilding teams, even guys with term, they're not necessarily clinging to them if you make them a good offer. Like the Pittsburgh Pirates don't need a reliever who's you know under contract or under term for three, four more years that badly. So if you make them a good offer, like basically any of those players are available to you. Whereas if you want to get a starting pitcher, like let's say that there are eight, again, eight sellers. Well, then you're talking about 40 starting pitchers. But if those are bad teams, how many of those pitchers are any good at all? And you generally do want to keep starters who have term, even if you don't have that immediate timeline for winning. So your market for decent starters who could actually help is could maybe be five or six guys. Whereas with the bullpen, you're always going to be able to find the help you need. And, you know, obviously because bullpen pieces are less valuable than starters, you're also not paying as much. But you can kind of pick and choose the flavor of guy you want, too, if you feel like your park or your opponents are more you know susceptible to a sinker ball pitcher if you want to go that straight four seam curveball route there are just so many options no it's true and you're right they're not they're definitely not like well is this is this guy going to be part of the next great pirates team like the like 
you can have all the term you know, like possible and, and i don't think that that's going to be uh part of the consideration and, and yeah and, but but also this does lead to the question and i know that the jay's answer has been you know the the market is the is not developed yet and the prices are, are still astronomically high uh but it does feel like you know should be able to figure something out pretty quickly uh given what you're saying and given the number of guys available and you know uh, given that Ben Charrington used to be in the the front office here and is running Pittsburgh, like figure it out already. I don't know. I, I don't even know if the Pirates have anyone worth worth acquiring, but it really shouldn't be this hard. Um, and fortunately, uh, we didn't have another week like the previous couple uh, where that would have been just such a a, a louder question. Uh, they do definitely need to make a fix, but but seeing those three guys that Charlie is going to run into the ground. Uh, emerge and, and really be useful at the end of games has been uh, has been quite game-changing yeah i mean ultimately watching the pittsburgh pirates sort of from afar is going to be a blue jays cottage industry over the next month or so <laughs> just because yeah. like as you say there's that ben Sherrington connection we, we've heard so many rumors regarding the blue jays and pirates you know we heard about joe musgrove before some of their starters we're going to hear it with some of their bullpen guys as well you know, you're right in that those, uh, you know, those prices are really high because I think uh, there was a really interesting piece on Fangraphs the other day about like why don't people make trades now because so many fans are clamoring for it. Well, if I'm selling this pitcher, I want to wait and accumulate as many offers as possible. And you can give me an offer right now, and I can say that's a pretty good offer. I'd probably take it, but there's not much incentive for me not to wait and see if more offers accumulate over time especially you know a team goes on the run and they you know they realize that maybe they are a contender and they want to add and now they're willing to make an offer or some other team gets you know an injury right near the trade deadline and the high leverage arm they were counting on is gone so that's another offer so if you're the pirates you're sitting on these relievers there isn't that much incentive for you to say, you know what, that's the offer. I'm going to take it now because there's so many possibilities and there's a big opportunity cost to doing that. On the flip side of it, with certain guys, like not the top, top guys, not guys with term, if they were in as dire straits as they were a week ago, I think it would be worth kind of banging the drum for that a little bit. Like, yeah, you might have to pay a little bit more than you want to or and kind of impress the other team. But the season is slipping away and, you know, something needs to be done and desperate times call for desperate measures. But that's just not quite where they are right now. Like all of a sudden they aren't in a desperate situation. That doesn't mean they still don't need help, but I don't think they need help now in such a way that they're willing to go outside their value structure. Not that Shapiro and Atkins are those types anyway to kind of do that, but it doesn't feel like there's the need to do that the same way there was, you know, a week ago. No, you're definitely right about that. Yeah. So I think that when, it, yeah, when it comes to those bullpen additions that are coming, it's, yeah, you know, everybody just chill and wait a month and uh, <laughs> there, they'll get someone, they'll get somebody good too. Like they, they have a lot of prospects to deal from and they have depth at certain positions and I think this is going to be an interesting test of the Blue Jays front office. Is like, are you willing to not do Joaquin Benoit? And he, that worked out well, to be fair. Um, and mm -hmm. go get one of the top three guys on the market. Like, are you willing to get someone who isn't 
having a bad year, but you think you can fix them. You get someone who's actually having a very good year and you're going to have to buy high on them. And they haven't done that yet, right? Like they've got, they bought low on the Lirianos and the Striplings um, and the Robbie Rays. And they, I don't know, I guess he kind of bought medium on Taiwan Walker, but they haven't really identified like, oh, here's a guy who's been absolutely awesome this year. He's going to cost a lot to get him. And we're going to pull the trigger on that anyway. This is very true. And it's, and this, it feels like they have, you know, uh, good pieces, I think, in the minor leagues, you know, because, you, you know, you look at a Kevin Smith or some of the catching depth that they have. Uh, I saw on a Twitter conversation about Samad Taylor, who's, who's tearing it up, but it was, I think, uh, Eric Longenhagen on his, in a fan graphs chat this week was saying that, you know, saw him in Australia and didn't think he was a prospect or thought he was close to a non-prospect. And now he's just, uh, uh, really turned it around, and so and, and these are guys who probably don't fit the Blue Jays' long term plans. Like they're they're interesting guys, and and you know I, I probably look better as, as a trade chip. I would think. I mean, uh, I don't think Kevin Smith is solving the third base issue, um, or at least isn't doing it for very long before he's supplanted by someone like Austin Martin or George Groshans. Yeah, when you've got Groshans and Martin there, neither of those guys are you know a guarantee. Nobody is. It does give you latitude to think about, okay, who are my other infielders? And even, you know, some of the younger guys like Otto Lopez or someone like that, um, you can dig deeper into your minor league system because it look you know, you've got Bo Bichette is going to be there for a long time on the infield. Looks like shortstop. We don't have to, we don't have to decide that now, but he's going to be in the infield for a long time. Vladdy's going to be at first base for a long time. Then you've got a couple of elite prospects and, you know, I think that there's a half decent chance that they play the shortstop mark in the offseason. So infield is definitely a spot. If you guys are making your fake trades at home, uh, yeah, look at Blue Jays infield prospects. And, you know, I, I'm hesitant to say this, but, you know, look at Alejandro Kirk a little bit because of what Moreno's doing and whether you want to have both of those young catchers. And it looks like they're not going to trade Moreno. So, yeah, those are two no, spots. I don't, I don't yeah. think he's going anywhere. Those are two th- spots that really stand out, whereas, you know, arms, they still have a need for their own arms, like you're always going to. So, you know, I don't think they're going to move one of their big arms. And the outfield picture is, a, is a, I don't know, it's a little bit confusing. And also, they don't have that many great outfield prospects to trade from. So, you know, MLB doesn't have the ESPN trade machine yet. They should try and cook one up. It would be unbelievably complicated. Uh, but if you're kind of yeah doing that math at home and doing yarns of string and whatnot, uh, that's what I'd be looking at in terms of what the Blue Jays might deal from. Yeah, I think that that's bang on. I mean, the, the, sure they have arms, but those are definitely definitely you know farther down the the, the list of guys I think they're going to move. And, and you know we we saw the move. You know they moved Kendall Williams in the Ross Stripling deal last year. And, uh, there there have been. You know, there there could be some smaller moves that that uh, involve an arm. I'm not saying that they would do it, but yeah, I think it's definitely uh, depending on how the industry values those guys, I guess. But I, I think it's definitely you know you're looking at at a Smith as 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 someone who I don't know, who feels like maybe the Clint Frazier, where it's like every year he's going to get traded uh, until he inevitably doesn't. Yeah, except I don't see the doesn't with Smith, or I don't see him starting for the Blue Jays anytime soon. Um, just to go off the Blue Jays for a second, 
you know, it is Blue Jays happy hour, but sometimes we got to look around the league. This is tangentially uh, connected to the Blue Jays. It's been the first week of the sticky stuff crackdown, and I don't know what your impression of it is. It, it doesn't seem like things have changed that much in a sense. And then on the other side of things, you know, we've had some pretty funny incidents. You know, Max Scherzer, uh, you know, basically going semi-nude on national television <laughs> was one. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's someone that he was he's the perfect guy for a moment. I, you know, I think of the whole like checking it, you know, checking for the sticky stuff. I imagine some pitchers kind of treat it like going through the airport. Like you just, you know, put your shoes in the bin, you walk through, yada, 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 whatever, let's get this done. And he seemed to take it as like a personal insult. And I know that he had had multiple checks, but still, it, it is interesting that it, it creates sort of a prism for us to see some of the different mound personas and attitudes of these players. Because for some, it's <laughs> totally amiable and it's not a big deal at all. And for others, uh, it's this absolute outrage and it's made for some interesting tv it certainly has done that yeah absolutely and and you're right it doesn't feel like a lot has changed i mean if you look at the data it, it certainly has there's a baseball baseball prospectus piece uh that i think to here on friday uh rob arthur wrote about about how you know just the way that spin rate across the board has gone down and you know factoring in you know, weather changes at the time of year and, and still seeing like, okay, this is, this is going to have a, a direct impact on strikeout rate. We're going to see more contact. We're going to see a, a lot of changes, but it's stuff that, you know, that kind of just bears out over the course of, of many games, as opposed to something that's going to be like a huge dramatic sweeping change. Right. Like, I think it's, uh, you know, you might, I, I think, I think you, they're, they're looking at like a 1% drop in strikeout rate across the league, which, which is a lot when you, you know, multiply 162 games by four bats a game, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's, that really racks up, but it just, it is sort of granular and it's hard to see day to day. But it's been interesting. It's, it's weird. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't love doing, you know, looking through the, the baseball savant pages and seeing okay who's who's way down with their spin rate and like what does that mean about what they were doing before and how do you know how do you trust guys that, that is something that also somebody i think uh interestingly pointed out they may have slowed the bullpen market from developing a bit because you don't want to trade for somebody who uh is going to lose 200 rpm off their off their slider like immediately right and, and you want to see how this new world uh, looks a little bit probably before uh, before going going forward. So so that could be an interesting you know wrinkle and, and an interesting way that it, it that it actually affects things that are more easily seen. But obviously underlying numbers and whatnot do seem to indicate that it's uh, it's going to help. It, it's going to do what the, the league wants it to do, which is uh, which is of people add balls in play basically and it was interesting i don't think anybody had not had, had talked about this before but i know that the league has been looking at uh moving to a tackier ball like a ball that comes out of the box tacky uh the way that they do in japan but mark Shapiro was saying on that interview uh on the fan this week about uh potentially next year rolling that out where it's like okay all substances are banned but the ball has something for grip on it. And I know that the, I, I, you know, what I've read about this topic, I don't think that, I don't know if they've done it successfully. And I, I think it's, it's tough to, to do it uniformly and in a way that, 
<laughs> that satisfies the players, I think. So that's that's going to be interesting. But obviously the league is moving towards something like that. And I feel that's probably also something that they're going to, uh, you know, that, that's going to be involved in the, the labor negotiations that uh, that we're already seeing the both sides sort of gearing up for. Yeah, it's been interesting. The part of it that I, and you touched on this a little bit, I don't love is sort of the, and I think I pointed out a Garrett Cole on myself, so I'm I'm not saying that I'm not guilty, yeah. but but just <laughs> yeah. kind of the uh, the all the finger pointing and sort of internet sleuthing on like okay this guy spin rights down this guy spin rights down this guy spin rights down he, therefore he must have been doing X for one I don't really hold pitchers too accountable for what they were using before because you know they it was pretty tacitly accepted across the board. Like I know that there are probably some individual hitters and managers and whatnot. that were kind of annoyed by it, but it was being used by both sides. There weren't really like evil teams that were like, this isn't the Astros sign stealing scandal, right? This is a problem in the game that everyone was involved with. And it kind of got out of control. Like I, I was listening to effectively wild, which is a great baseball podcast uh, by Fangraphs, and they had a raised pitcher on, and he kind of hinted that like the organization themselves, and this is not me to throw the Rays on their bus. I think this is a lot of organizations. I wouldn't be shocked if it was the Blue Jays too. Kind of made their pitchers aware of what was available and the effects it might have. Like it was that ingrained in the game that you know organizations are talking to their minor leaguers about it and what the effects might be and whatnot. So when people kind of point out like, oh, look at this guy, he's down 200 RPMs, uh, the kind of implication of that, like, oh, this guy's a, you know, this guy's a shitty guy or like, look at this cheater or whatever. And that's not what they're explicitly saying, but there is a tinge of that that I find a little bit annoying because I don't know if the blame really rests with the players. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. And, uh, you know, we've seen... I don't even know if organizations necessarily had to be that explicit about it, right? Like the Blue Jays clearly are chasing spin rate. Like, and we've looked at, you know, not every pitcher, but but you see acquisitions. You see Jeremy Beasley, like how to, his spin rate was was way up uh, this spring. And, the, you know, the Blue Jays go, you know, go after him. And it, you kind of like go go down the list of of those like interesting little minor transactions that people hate kind of acquisitions that the Jays have made uh over the last years, it feels like that is, you know, a trend that they, like everybody else, have been following. And, uh, I think, you know, the message is pretty clear that if that, you know, if that's the, if that's the kind of stuff that makes the team think that somebody is worth acquiring or is worth promoting for, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it, that's all going to happen. And, and we saw that that's exactly what did happen. Uh, so you're right. Like I, I, the the finger pointing is, and I, and I think it folds into the labor issues a little bit as well. Uh, it's a bit unseemly, and definitely, um, you know, the league making, you know, going out of its way, doing this in midseason, uh, and and you know, making players look like dirty cheaters. Uh, you know, it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't help. Uh, it, it doesn't help win public public support for the players' union, and it also uh you know i think it was probably to drive a wedge between the players as well you know just to the 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 finger pointing is is not good for unity when it comes to uh uh 
what's going to happen in the winter. I also think that there's a little bit of confusion about the extent of what the change is going to be here. And, you know, people are talking about this, you know, the spin rate drops and everyone can look at a baseball savant and whatnot. But you can, you know, and, and I think Tyler Glasnow sort of publicized it more when he had his injury issue, which, you know, may or may not have been affected by this change. But the reality is, like, you watch Garrett Cole pitch after this. It's not like he's suddenly a bum. Like, we talked about Tyler Chatwood. Right. He <laughs> had some drop-off. He's not like he's suddenly a bum. Like, you were saying, you know, league-wide strikeout rates go down 1%. And maybe that, you know, that will be more for some pitchers and other pitchers. But spin rate is not the be-all and end-all of stuff. Um, it's not the only thing that affects how pitches move. It's not the only thing, you know, it's correlated with velocity, but it doesn't create velocity. And so guys are still throwing super hard. You know, Jacob deGrom is the guy who throws insanely hard and his spin rate isn't that crazy. And his stuff is, you know, totally unbelievable and blows everyone away. So I think that there's partly because we don't know yet, we don't have enough information yet. There's this notion that like, oh, these guys are losing tons of spin rate, so their stuff is not going to play and they're not going to be good anymore. And the difference seems more likely to be around the margins than something that truly has a profound effect on how we see player X and Y. And I'm not saying that can't happen and maybe it will happen on the extremes a couple of times, but it seems unlikely to me that there's going to be, you know, dozens and dozens of pitchers who are fundamentally different guys in the wake of all of this. Yeah, that sounds that sounds absolutely right to me. Yeah. All right, before we wrap here, uh, we got the same weekend series to uh <laughs> to give you as last time. It's the Orioles again. So, what did we learn last time? I don't know that the Orioles are bad. Uh, the, <laughs> I think we learned that yeah. the top of their line we mentioned last time the top of their lineup and Mount Castle like, they can hit a little bit um, Freddie Galvis seems to pop up fairly high in that order from time to time which is an indication of where they're at uh, I think it'll be fun for Blue Jays fans in general to watch that bullpen just to, for them to feel better about themselves because the Orioles bullpen is a, if you think the Blue Jays have problems uh, the Orioles bullpen <laughs> is a disaster, which, you know, it it kind of gives that anything can happen. No lead is safe, maybe even on either side in those series. Seems like a, you know, bit of a hit the over on over unders for a lot of these games. It, it You know, it's it's funny because it's it's more fun to watch, I think, when the like coming out of the time the Blue Jays were in. It was definitely fun to see them kind of get some wind in their sails again. Um, you know, if they continue to roll through the Orioles, like those might not necessarily be the most entertaining games, which is not to say that people are going to turn them off. But it's kind of now that the Turner, ugh, the corner has been turned a little bit. There's a little bit of a different feel to, you know, beating up on the Orioles 9 nothing like they did last night as opposed to when they really needed that win. No, absolutely, and it. Uh, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm happy to watch more laughers like last night, where, you know, it's not you know just riding the edge of your seat, every single night, which felt like was what we were doing for a month, and and this is, it's another thing that Shapiro talked about, which is that you know they've been in just about every game, like they're not getting blown out. So, uh, part of the reason to believe that they they were a good team through all the struggles was that they were you know playing teams hard and, and and 
being close to wins, even when they were not quite being able to figure it out and finish them off. Uh, but yeah, I would be happy with with more blowouts this weekend, uh, particularly in the uh, in the direction of the the good team, the good guys, the good team. The good team. Well, yeah, if there are two teams, <laughs> uh, the Orioles and the Blue Jays, regardless of where your allegiance lie, and you had to describe one as the good team, uh, that team would be the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, but that is a win by default. Uh, I think we'll leave it with you guys there. We appreciate you guys uh, listening to Blue Jays Happy Hour. It's probably coming out a little bit later than you're used to. You already know that. We're sorry if we've disrupted your schedule. There's been some internet worries. Um, We hope you guys continue to listen. Subscribe. Send us nicer, nasty reviews, whatever. Uh, Float your boat, and we'll see you next week.